Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church. And visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Teaching today is our Calvary Kids Pastor, Manny Colazzo. Welcome to Calvary's Tuesday night church service online. My name is Pastor Manny, and it's great to be here with you once again. Uh, before we begin, I want to remind you if you're watching on YouTube or one of the other social media platforms, make sure to subscribe to the channel. Click the little bell icon so you get a notification whenever things are posted. And hey, if God's blessing you through this and you want to uh, and you think that this is going to be beneficial to somebody, go ahead and copy the URL or, or share it on your social media to get the word of God out there. You know, this is a powerful way that God can use to change lives. And so if you have somebody in your life or people on your feed that you think this might be, share it with them directly. Um, who knows? It might be a blessing to them. And if you have your Bibles or if you have your mobile apps, go ahead and open up to the Gospel of Matthew uh, chapter 5. That's the first book uh, in the New Testament. And just to get us up, up to speed as to where we're at, early in Matthew's account of Jesus' life, Jesus was traveling throughout Galilee. He was healing diseases, preaching and teaching about his kingdom. And we're told that Jesus was so famous that a great multitude was following him. People came from faraway distances to hear him, to see him. And in response to this crowd, the beginning of Matthew chapter 5 says that when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside. This wasn't to get away from the crowd. No, he went up on this hillside to gather the crowd. He didn't, want to, he didn't want them to miss this message that he was about to drop because it could be considered the core of his teaching. You see, the disciples that Jesus had gathered around him were about to hear a sermon that they never forget. It wasn't an inspirational political speech about winning votes. He wasn't promising material prosperity if an election was won. This wasn't even a speech, a, a, a message about toppling governments, legislating the perfect society, granting special rights, or by inspiring new or imposing new laws. No, Jesus begins his teaching with what's known as the Beatitudes, nine of them. And when you read them, I think we need to flip a switch in how we read them because Jesus isn't saying that if you live this way, God will bless you. No. Jesus saying, you are blessed. You are blessed. And since that is who you are, live as who you are. Live in this way. Live as blessed people. And this is the way blessed people live. When you read and you understand the Beatitudes from this perspective, one of the things you'll see is that you'll begin to learn the values that Jesus embraces, the views, his views that he is expressing, and the norms that he expects. You'll begin to see these things as countercultural as they are. I mean, he's describing what I like to call is the Jesus culture. I mean, just listen, read along in Matthew 5, 
to just who he says it's blessed. It's totally out of this world. I mean, it's difficult to understand. Listen, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. When's the last time that you thought of a meek person as blessed? Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Do you see how countercultural? We don't normally think as these, kind, these kinds of people as blessed, but this is who Jesus is saying are the blessed ones. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the persecuted. Say what? Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me? Rejoice, he says, and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Hey, I don't know about you, but when I read this list of blessings, these people who are blessed, and Jesus is saying, because you are this way, because you are blessed, live in this way. People who live this way are just a different breed, aren't they? Think about it. They're blessed because, like Jesus, they value humility. They treasure the broken. They demonstrate mercy. They expect innocence. They desire righteousness. They pursue and instigate peace. Hey, they are already blessed. And so they have an eternal and a heavenly motivation for life that enables them to rejoice when suffering and persecutes when suffering persecution in life. Now, by all means, this does not mean that they've arrived and that somehow they've achieved perfection. But it does mean that they march to the beat of a different drummer. It means that they make a difference in this world because they are different. See, these people who embrace the Jesus culture that he just described in these 12, uh, nine verses, they are so distinct that Jesus goes on to call them salt of the earth and the light of the world. Why is that? Because they know their purpose. You see, they know the why of their life. How about you? Do you know your purpose? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Why am I here? Why am I here on this earth? What on earth am I here for? I'm sure during these times of uncertainty, we're all asking those kinds of questions. When we have economic uncertainties, Changes happening in the government, health, and even our climate is being rocked. Have you been searching for the answer to that question? Have you found the answer? Maybe you are in a job, a, a relationship, or a church, and you've asked yourself, am I just wasting my life away? Or, or maybe you're a student. Here you are sitting in class online on Zoom for most of the day and you're learning things like the Pythagorean theorem or how to solve quadratic equations. Maybe you're reading George Orwell's Animal Farm or Charles Dickens' The Tale of Two Cities and you're like, is this why I exist? Or maybe like me, 
I remember when I was 17 years old, a young athlete, I had suffered an injury and, and suddenly I came to the realization that one day my body would not be able to do the things I was able to do as a 17 year old. And I began to ask myself the life sifting question, what does it mean to be me? Maybe you've been living for is those, maybe you've been living for those fun experiences, sex, drugs, alcohol, partying, and maybe you're thinking, man, is this it? Is this the purpose of life? To go from one experience to another, from one high to the next high. Some of you have spent decades in a line of work. And you're beginning to contemplate a, a transition to a different career. Maybe as a result of all the upheaval, you've had to change careers. Or maybe you're considering retirement. And you're asking, now what? Who am I? I can even think of perhaps new moms and dads. You've been looking forward to making and having babies. But as the novelty wears off, you're asking, is this what my life has become? Changing diapers, wiping runny noses, and now I have this mini-me attached to me 24-7. What about me? What about my hopes and dreams, my ambitions to make a significant contribution to a business, a company, an organization, or even the world? Maybe some of you are at the other end of that spectrum. Your children have flown the coop. The nest is now empty. And you're asking, what is the purpose of my marriage? Why do I exist? What is the purpose of my family now that the kids aren't around? In his book, Ulysses S. Grant, Soldier and President, Jeffrey Parrott tells the story of President Grant. He was playing a few rounds of golf with a friend. And so after being handed a club by the caddy, he took his first swing at the ball and he missed. On his second try, the president missed again. He hit the ground. But yet still determined, he patiently took a few more swings, missing every time. As he casually returned the golf club to the caddy, President Grant said, I've always understood that the game of golf was good exercise, but I failed to see the purpose of the ball. <laughs> Is that how you feel about your life? Oh, there's plenty activity, but you fail to see its purpose, the purpose of all this activity. What is your why? Your gut is telling you there's got to be more to your life. And you keep trying. You keep swinging at it. But something ain't happening. What on earth am I here for, you ask? Well, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, Jesus uses some simple word pictures, illustrations like salt and light, to teach us that our purpose is to sprinkle and to twinkle. So let's go ahead, open up that passage. Hey, and you might even want to 
you know, if you want to experience and taste this message, why don't you press pause right now and go get yourself a little bit of salt. I'm going to use it in just a minute. Matthew 5, verse 13, at the end of describing the Jesus culture, Jesus calls these people. He tells them, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Unlike today, in Jesus' day, salt was considered a valuable product. We know that it was used as currency because sometimes soldiers were paid in salt. As a matter of fact, the word salt is where we get the word for salary. And even the phrase, not worth his salt, that refers to someone whose work isn't worth what he's getting paid. Also, in ancient times, before ice and refrigeration were used to preserve food, salt prevented food from getting spoiled by dehydrating the food and making it too dry for bacteria and mold to grow. And so, when fresh food wasn't available, salt could make the difference between life and death. Salt has even been an essential part of medicine for thousands of years. It has been used as a remedy, a support treatment, and even a preventative measure. Salt can be used as an antiseptic to dry and to disinfect a wound, but it can also be used as a therapeutic, in a ther as therapy in a hot bath. But its most popular use, and the use that Jesus is pointing out for us, is that salt adds or enhances flavor. So go ahead and take your salt and put some into your hand right now. Sprinkle some into your hand. Go ahead and taste it. Mmm. Sprinkle some salt on a big old bucket of movie popcorn when, when things open back up. Can you imagine it? Yeah, that's salty. Popcorn, or here goes another one. What about some salt on the rim of a virgin margarita? Yeah, that lime, salty, sweet taste. Or what about a scoop of salted caramel ice cream? Yum. You see, salt makes a world of difference, doesn't it? But, and, and here's what I want you to know. As I just told you, salt can do many things, yes. But the only point that Jesus is making is this. The only reason salt is useful is because it is salty. The only point Jesus is making is this. Despite all of its many uses, the only point Jesus is making is... Salt is useful because it is salty. If salt weren't salty, you might as well sprinkle some sand on your steak and your baked potato. You see, if salt doesn't fulfill its purpose, it wouldn't make a difference. It would be useless.
Jesus also says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Now, this illustration might be a little difficult for us to relate to because we have lights everywhere. But remember that in Jesus' time, there wasn't any electricity. If you were traveling at night, there weren't any street lights to show the way. You would have been relying on starlight, moonlight, or these oiled-fueled lamps to direct you. One commentator was describing what things were like back in Jesus' day. He said, when one travels to the Holy Land, one is impressed with the fact that multitudes of villages were built on the tops of hills. When night came, the light in the houses on the hill could not be hidden. From a great distance, one knew the location of the next village because the light from that hilltop. And so what do we know about light? That light's purpose is to illuminate. It helps make those sharply pointed plastic blocks called Legos visible before you step on them in the middle of the night. Light reveals beauty. It exposes flaws. Lighthouses help boats navigate stormy seas and it warns them of dangerous areas. And street lights provide direction, and sunlight gives life. So folks, just like salt, light does many things. But the only point Jesus is making is this. The only reason light is useful is because it illuminates. The only reason light is useful is because it illuminates. And if light doesn't fulfill its purpose, it wouldn't make a difference. It also would be useless. And so here's your big idea that I think Jesus is trying to drive home. What Jesus is teaching us is that like salt and light, when we fulfill our purpose, we are useful. When we fulfill our purpose, just like salt and light, we are useful. Let me drive this point home with another illustration. Consider this hammer. This hammer was meant, it was created, perfectly crafted to do one thing. But imagine that this hammer came, to, came alive, but it was never used. Days go by and he or, or she remains in the toolbox. The hammer feels funny inside because he's not exactly sure why something is missing. He doesn't know what it is. Then one day, the owner pulls him out of the toolbox and uses him, bang, to break some branches for the fireplace. The hammer loves it. Someone is holding him. Someone is wielding him, hitting branches with him. The hammer is exhilarated. But at the end of the day, he's thrown back into the toolbox. And yet he's still unfulfilled. 
Hey, hitting branches was fun, but it wasn't enough. Something is still missing. In the days that follow, the hammer is used often. He reshapes a hubcap. He blasts through some sheetrock. He knocks a table leg back into place, but he's still unfulfilled. The hammer longs for more action. He or she wants to be used as much as possible to knock things around, to break things down, to blast through things and dent other things. He figures that, hey, he just hasn't had enough of these experiences to satisfy him. And so he thinks that he needs more of the same and that will be the solution to his lack of fulfillment. Well, one day, the owner uses him to drive home a nail. And suddenly, something is driven home in his hammer soul. Now he understands that he was designed for hitting nails, for driving nails. It's hammer time. Prior to that, all other things paled in comparison. Now he knows what his hammer soul was searching for all along. It was his purpose. How about you? Have you nailed your purpose? Hey, you might have had some wonderful, fun, even noble experiences. But are you living the way you were designed to live? Salt is meant to be salty. Light is meant to illuminate. Hammers are meant to drive nails. Well, how about you? What are you meant to do? What Jesus taught is that blessed people who embrace the values, views, and norms of the Jesus culture also have a distinct purpose. And that purpose, when we fulfill that purpose, we are useful. So why do we exist? Why on earth are you here? What is your purpose? Jesus answers that question for us in verse 16. He says, after talking about salt and light, he says, in the same way, just like light, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. What is your purpose? What is my purpose? What is our purpose? What is the purpose of those who embrace the Jesus culture and as a result are living this beatitude life? Our purpose is to make God known where he is unknown. Our purpose is to make God known where he is unknown. We were designed to make God known by living these lives that attract and direct attention to him. Well, how do we do that? How do we make him known? I'd like to point out two ways. These aren't the only two ways, but just two ways on how you can do this. Number one, we, we fulfill our purpose to make God known when we are useful to those who don't know him. In Jeremiah 22, Jeremiah the prophet He's declaring God's disapproval of King Jehoiakim because this king had gotten rich by taking advantage of his fellow Jews. This was so opposite to the example that was set by his father, Josiah. You see, Josiah, his father, he defended the poor 
and the needy. He didn't take advantage of them. Well, listen to what Jeremiah said in verse 16 of Jeremiah 22 about Josiah. It says, he, Josiah, pled the cause of the afflicted and the needy. Then it was well. Is not that what it means to follow me, declares the Lord? Can you believe that? One of the indicators that a person knows God is the way he or she treats the poor. I mean, usually we look at how spiritually disciplined a person is. How are they doing on their Bible reading? Are they praying? Are they fasting? Are they participating in religious services? How are they doing in their disciplines of spirituality? Oh, that person must know God. But when was the last time that the measurement of spirituality was how useful or how helpful we are to others? After all, the Bible frequently mentions that the poor, the widow, and the orphan, the discouraged and the disenfranchised have a special place in God's heart. Hey, when we step in the gap on their behalf and in practical ways ease their discomfort, we are being useful to them. And so remember the point. Let's not get the main point twisted. Jesus saying that just like salt and light have a purpose, we exist to make God known. And one of the ways that is accomplished is when we are useful and helpful to those who don't know him. I love the point that Larry Osborne made in his book, Mission Creep, about this. He said, good deeds without Jesus, it leaves people better off. It might even save lives. But if we leave and they have no idea who Jesus is, we've done nothing to help them with life's biggest problem. The sin that we all have to give account for someday. You see, folks, we fulfill our purpose to make God known when we are useful to those who don't know him. Is your life useful to others? Look around. Open your eyes. Open your hearts. You can be helpful to others, especially those who don't know him. Serve the needy. Feed the hungry. And what I'm about to say might shock you, so brace yourself. When you come across a need, when you discover a need, don't bring them to church. Don't bring them to the church to take care of the need. No, God brought them to you. He, he made you aware of the need. You be the church to them. Perhaps you're saying, but I can't afford it. I don't have time. I don't, or I don't have the energy. Can I encourage you? to give sacrificially, and just watch God use the little bit that you have to make himself known in the life of that person who doesn't know him. So can I encourage you to be helpful to that coworker? Take the initiative. Help your unbelieving friends and your unbelieving family members. Help them achieve their goals. Mow your neighbor's lawn. When you hear of someone that is down on their luck, offer 
to cook or buy them a meal. Why? Because when you are useful to them, that is an accurate representation of the God that you want them to know. Jesus said, let your light shine before men. This is an intentional action, not something that happens by mistake. You do it. Let your light shine that they may see. You can't conceal it. You don't cover a light in a bowl. You put it on the stand. These are intentional steps that are taken to make God known. And again, the only point Jesus is making about salt and light is that they are only useful when they fulfill their purpose. In order for salt to be useful, it has to get out of the salt shaker. In order for light to be useful, it shouldn't be hidden. Jesus uses the simplest of word pictures, doesn't he? Nothing is more plainer, nothing is more common than just some old-fashioned salt. It's so common that we take it for granted. But hey, if there weren't any salt, what a difference that would make, huh? Wow. What would life be like without salt? Oh, it would be like that little boy who said, salt is what tastes bad when you don't have it. You see, these Jesus people, people who embrace the Jesus culture, they are salt and light of the earth. And you make a difference when your life is not only helpful and useful, but you make a difference when your life is visible. And that's my second point. This is the second way. We fulfill our purpose to make God known when we are visible to those who don't know him. Folks, the beatitude life, the life of a Jesus person, it was never intended to be lived in isolation under a basket. It was never meant to be hidden. Unfortunately, there are some who live with this separatist mentality. And they think that the spiritual life is isolated and insulated from people. Just them and God and nobody else. Well, hey, that kind of spirituality, it might be structured and disciplined in prayer, Bible reading, attending meetings with others that already know him. But it's not something to be admired. As a matter of fact, it can't be admired because it can't be seen. Jesus is saying, you are salt, you're light. When you are living that separated life, you have no influence where God is unknown because it's not visible to people who don't know him. Jesus said that's like flavorless salt. It's like lightless light, useless. I remember several years ago, I think about six, seven years ago, I had just moved to Iowa and was pastoring a church in this small town. And in order to get connected to the community, I decided to start a karate school in the little town we lived in. Well, one of the members of the church found out about my idea and what I had started doing, and boy, did she get upset. 
She got upset because she felt that my time, the pastor's time and energy, needed to be spent at the church, on the church property, in the church office, investing in spiritual things, she said. The things of the church, the church's programs and its events. And so when I heard of that and I, she talked to me about it, I said, woman, well, I didn't really say it like that. I felt like saying that. But what I did say was, this is, this is going to be one of the most spiritual things I do all week. Teaching these karate classes to these people who don't know God. See, during that time, I will be representing this God who wants to be known. And I will be making him known among those who don't know him. This is one of the most spiritual things I will be doing. How about that? Have you ever thought about that? That your visible life, in the everyday things, in the everyday rhythms of your life, wherever you go, at any time, at any place, can be making God known amongst the unknown, those who don't know him. Going to work, going to school, going to the gym, going to the grocery store, even in your neighborhood involvement, can be just as spiritual and sacred as going to church. That's why he said, you are the light of the world. When he said this, he's giving us a tremendous responsibility. You, your visible lives are the way I will give sight to spiritually blind people. And I will bring light to those who are living in darkness. People who don't know God will see God because of you. They will hear his values and his principles through your words, and they will see them lived out through your life. I love how Paul put this in Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. He said, let your conversation be always full of grace and seasoned with salt. Why? So that you may know how to answer everyone. Here's the thing, folks. Those who don't know God, for the most part, they don't want to read the Bible. They should. It would be good for them, but they don't want to. The Bible holds no authority. The Bible has authority, but it, to them it holds no authority in their lives. But they're not going to get curious about the Bible unless they first read the Bible in our lives and hear about it in our words. Like salt, like light, you have a purpose. Your purpose is to make God known where he is unknown. How do you do that? You do that when you are useful and visible to those who don't know him. So I want to conclude with some questions for you. And I want to leave them dangling for you to wrestle with, for you to answer. Maybe you've invited some people over and you are listening to this together. Maybe you want to invite some people over and listen to this again with others. Here are some questions that you can discuss to process what God might be telling you to do about this. How can you, question number one, how can you be useful 
or helpful to someone who doesn't know him this week? How can you be useful? Has God already shown you needs in people's lives, people who don't know him? How can be use, practically useful to them and helpful to them? Are there names? As you think through your, your contact list on your phone, as you think through your friends list on Facebook, as you think the people on so, is there anybody you can be helpful and useful to? God wants to use you to make himself known. That's your purpose. That's why you exist. Number two, how can your life be visible to someone who doesn't know him? How can you leverage your talents and passions, your words, your money, your time, to make God known where he is not known? Go ahead and take some time and discuss that question. You might even want to take it a step further. As you think through your contact list, maybe you want to, in, on your social media, you want to post something about what you're going to do, action steps you're going to take. You want to comment on your social media to say, hey, I just heard this. Here are the steps I'm going to take in, re in reply to this message. How can you be useful and how can you be helpful this week in the lives of someone, in the life of someone who doesn't know him so that God can make him known. Why should you do this? Because that's fulfilling your purpose. Your purpose is to make him known amongst people who don't know him, where he is unknown. Amen? Would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord, thank you for this challenge. God, that you have declared those who believe in you, you've declared them as blessed. And because we are blessed, God, we get to live in this way. Father, we ask that as we live and embrace the Jesus culture, that you would use us in the same way that salt and light are used to make a difference because they have purpose. You've given us the greatest purpose that there can be to make you known, to put the spotlight on you so that you would get the attention. And the tools that you've given us to do that is our good deeds, our influence, our kind words, our bold words, our helpful actions, those things, Lord God, that we can do to help alleviate the burden of the poor, the needy, so that they might see you and glorify you. May you get the praise and honor and glory in all of God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.